Father, this morning we come to you. Now for the ministry of the word. Help us to be still. I speak your peace and your rest into every heart. We confess in spite of our storms, our trials, our testings, our God is always in control. And he is our father. If he cares for the sparrow and for the grass in the field, how much more he cares for each one of us. Therefore, Lord, cause us to be still in your presence that we might hear your voice. You have the words of life. We have come for life. Help us to be partakers of your life this morning. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, if you were there, I mean, if you were in there, don't worry. Is each message, I tried to make it complete in itself. But if you were there, it will be easier to follow. We know Jesus makes that statement. <clears throat> Incredible statement, the I am statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. The thief just doesn't, this thief called the devil is not just interested in stealing alone. He wants to kill and is not interested in killing alone. He wants to destroy us completely. But he said, I have come to give you life. And life in abundance. It's the reason Jesus came. If that's the reason Jesus came. And he comes to give us a life that cannot be stolen. That cannot be killed. Or that cannot be destroyed. By all the powers of darkness. Then, what's the reason that we, the children of God, not the world, the children of God struggle so much to receive this life. And we saw the reason, part of the reason, or much of the reason we saw from last week from Isaiah 59 and verse 14, that judgment is turned away backward and justice stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So it says judgment or justice and the second justice stands for righteousness. Equity stands for being impartial or fairness. Scripture says all this is blocked because of one thing and one thing alone. That is truth is fallen. So Jesus is the way, Jesus is the life. But in the middle stands, Jesus is the truth and our struggle, all of us, from the beginning we get saved till the end of our life, our struggle with God is with truth and he is the truth. It's not my truth, it's not your truth, it's not what I say about you or you say about me, it's what God says about us. And we have to contend with that truth and when that truth stands up in the street, The way is open for more and more life to come. Righteousness stands far off. Justice stands far off. Judgment is turned back 
All this happens. Why? Because the scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. Though we are saved, we don't experience the joy of the Lord and the peace of the Lord if truth doesn't stand up because truth is connected with righteousness. Scripture says righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, that's the kingdom of God. And peace and joy stands far off. We are not able to experience it because it's got to do with righteousness and righteousness got to do with truth. What does David cry out? David doesn't cry out, Lord, save me again. He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Salvation is supposed to be very joyful. But Lord, I have lost it. I have lost it. Why? Because truth had fallen in his street. So now he's standing up in Psalm 51 and acknowledging truth as God saw it, as truth is standing up, he's asking God, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. If righteousness is marred, peace and joy will go away. Then what we have left is religion because the kingdom of God then doesn't become an experience. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. Paul said it very clearly. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. And even in the church, whether you are young or whether you are old, if the ministry of the word is not touching you, it's got to do with righteousness. Because if righteousness is taken care of, truth is standing up on your street, it doesn't matter how young you are, the word of God will start imparting life to us. It does. Because that's scripture. That's the truth. That's why when everybody left and Jesus asked his disciples, do you also want to go away? Peter said, no. I'm not going. Where do I go? Because I know one thing. You alone have the words of life. In Thessalonians, God says the word of God has power to work in those who believe. So remember, this is the issue. We have to deal with truth. And once we keep on dealing with truth, what happened? It itself becomes the conduit for more and more of the life of God. In Greek, you have a word called zoe, Z-O-E, zoe, meaning that is the life of God. It is the overcoming life of God that overflows. And I keep telling everywhere, the key to understand that life is in your heart. Keep revisiting the midnight scene in the prison in Philippi. That is the life of God. Just imagine once you have done nothing wrong. You have done only good. You have been falsely accused. You have been falsely slandered. You've been beaten back and blue. Your back is broken and bleeding. Your legs are locked up in the stock. You are thrown in the midnight hour to a dirty, filthy prison. If you are able to sing, that's the life of God. That is what God is offering through Christ. Brothers, Ashok, when you are praying before that, he said about forgiving. If you have never done anybody any wrong in your life, there's nobody like that except Jesus. Only Jesus. Whole night you've been beaten up back and blue. Your head is bleeding, your back is bleeding, your beard has been pulled out, you have been spat on your face, you've been nailed on the cross. Still from your mouth, if the first words are, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing, that is the very life of God. See life that way. That is the life God is offering. It's not about money and positions and all. It's not talking about that. 
This is the life we should aspire and hunger for. But you cannot have that life unless God says, Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for what? Righteousness. But if righteousness has to come, then truth has to stand up. When truth starts standing up in our lives, righteousness comes, life starts flowing. So whenever the Holy Spirit convicts us personally about the truth, repent and keep on moving on with God. Understand, keep on moving with God. The entire scripture from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 is the word of God. It is truth, it is law, you want to call it whatever you want. When you use the word law in the new covenant, do not mistake it for the Levitical law which has got to do with festivals and observances. The whole law of God revealed in the Bible is pure. Those scripture will say, law came through Moses, that's the Levitical law, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not even a dot from this word. It's the whole truth of God, the whole law of God. What does it mean? We say this, but what does it mean? What it means, the law or the laws of God are eternal. It always existed. Even before it was given to Moses, the laws of God were there. Man did not know the law because it was not given. But that does not mean it did not exist because God and truth are the same person. We get to know truth. That doesn't mean as I get to know truth, it only existed today. No, I exist in that truth today. Truth was always there before us. The law was always there. Always, always there. That is where the meditation of the law in the term of scripture, the psalmist will say, I meditate upon your law day and night. Why do we meditate upon the word of God or the law so that we understand what is this righteousness of God? What is this righteousness of God? Because it's got to do with justice. You'll say you are unjust. How does a judge give justice unless he knows the law? How do you expect justice or what is just or unjust unless we understand the law of God, the truth of God? You can say that is unfair, that was unjust. But how do we know? Unless we know what justice is. Unless we know what the heart of God is. So when scripture says, seek ye first, the kingdom of God and its righteousness. That righteousness is connected with these principles of law, meaning judgment. Judgment. How does God judge? For everything you have to make a judgment, right? Everything you have to make a judgment. From the time you woke up, opened your eyes and your mind clicked, you've been making judgments to get up or not to get up. What to wear, what to eat, how to go, to go or not to go. These children have no choice but the rest of you. To go or not to go, to go early or to go late, to slide in or to walk in, to go to the back or go to the front, to listen or not to listen or to tune off. You have no clue how many judgments we have already made in those few hours we were awake. How do we make judgments? 
Because God also is making judgments. How do we make judgments? Because judgments will lead to justice or righteousness. They are connected. Righteousness is connected to the judgments we make. Therefore, we need to know the principles of God's law. That is the spirit of the letter, which is called truth. And Jesus came with that. But he didn't come just with that. He says, once you understand this truth, you find it is so difficult. Lord, I can never be a just person. He says, don't worry. Grace will come and enable you. First very have fallen short of my justice. You believe, I will forgive and then my grace will help you to be just. That is why scripture says three times in the Bible, in the new covenant, my just shall live by faith. Romans 1.17, you don't have to turn. Galatians 3.11, my just shall live by faith. And Hebrews 10.38, my just shall live by faith. But in the old covenant, Habakkuk 2.4, where it begins, is not written that way. Scripture says, the just shall live by his faith. Slight difference. Little difference. Just shall live by faith. First we have to be justified, then faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God, that is the truth of God, and God continuously keeps declaring us righteous. So even Abraham, the father of believers who lived 500 years at least before the law was given through Moses, he was given the law. He understood the principles of God's law. That is why he is called the father of the believers. Can you be the father of believers who are called, the believers who are called to walk by the principles of God's law? How can you be their father if you yourself don't know the law? Right? How can Moses the lawgiver go and bring a people of the covenant out of Israel. The sign of the covenant is uncircumcision when your own sons are not circumcised. That's why on the road his sons have to be circumcised. How can Abraham be called the father of believers if he doesn't know the principles of God's law, but he knew. Therefore it is written. Genesis 26.5 Okay, one second. Read what is written. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. 400 years, 500 years before the law was given. The father of the believers knew it personally because God had revealed it to him. This is how my kingdom functions. And you are going to be the father of a whole set of people in history who will be part of my kingdom. So you learn first. Why are we getting into this? Why are we getting back into the principles of God's kingdom, the principles of God's judgment? Because if you're interested in eternity, as much as you're interested in passing your exams, finishing well your race on earth, let me tell you, you may evaluate and judge the messages you hear from me or Pastor Vijay differently. But I evaluate it differently and I would pr- say probably of this eight and a half years, this could be one of the most important messages you would have ever heard when it comes to eternity. So pay attention. Could be one of the most important messages I have ever probably preached in my life because of the nature of the message and what it applies to us in eternity. Why? Because there is a day coming. Hebrews 9.27 says there is a day coming as it is appointed for men to die once. 
Everybody will die once. So don't worry about death. What you need to worry is after that is judgment. So you need to be. If I were to tell you everyone has to write an exam next Sunday, then don't worry about the exam, worry about the results. It's only those who are not worried about the results who don't study. Those who are concerned about the results, study. So don't worry about death. Death will come or he will come. The only ones who will escape death is those who are lucky enough to be there when he comes. The rest all will die. But the point is, after this it is judgment. So we have to look at eternity in the light of judgment. Second Corinthians 5.10 scripture says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now it makes it a little more clearer. Not only everyone will be judged, everyone has to appear before we know the name of the judge. The judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So both the good and the bad is judged. Everyone has to appear. Everyone has to die. Everyone has to be judged. Everyone has to appear before this judge. By the time we go to Revelation 20, it becomes a little more clearer. In Revelation 20, then I saw a white throne and him. Now it's going to describe the judge and the nature and the splendor of that judgment. He was and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Now, this is no longer the throne room of grace. This is the throne room of judgment and the splendor, the awesomeness of judgment is such that heaven and earth fled away. From his face. Heaven and earth flood away. And there was found no place for them. What is this? We don't even, we can even think with our minds what would be like that day that is called. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Whole set of books are opened. And then there is one book of life. Whole set of books. These books are all connected with, now God is going to judge individuals. And then there is another book, the book, whether your name is there. It's not that if your name is there, you won't be judged. Yes, your name is there, you still will be judged for your good or your bad. Okay? And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Everything is being recorded. Everything we do, say, speak, think is being recorded unless it's been repented, forsaken and covered under the blood. Everything is being recorded. Nothing will be missed out on that day. Nothing. Everything is being recorded. And then, verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and hate delivered up the dead who were in them. They were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and hate were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire after judgment. Okay. So even those who are being cast into the lake of fire also are judged first and then cast. We have used that illustration earlier, meaning what's the point? You're going to the lake of fire, right? Really. You want 100 degrees or 200 degrees? I'm not joking. I'm being serious. 300 degrees or 1200 degrees for eternity. You read scripture carefully. Some of the worst places are reserved for the most wicked. And it will be absolutely righteous. Scripture says, both 
small and great everyone will one day stand it doesn't matter what we are here today whether small or whether great whether rich or whether poor whether young or whether old all those things don't matter everyone scripture says will stand before him it's such an awesome day a fearful day and it also an awesome day and there is only one way one way one can face that day with confidence that is why jesus said i am the way there's only one way but we have to continually walk that way to face that day with confidence in first corinthians chapter 11 verse 31 and 32 tells us how do you face that day if we would judge ourselves we would not be judged if we judge ourselves we just don't judge anybody else just judge ourselves if we judge ourselves we would not be judged but if we don't judge ourselves then he will judge and we are chastened by the lord even in this life he starts judging his children disciplining his children so that we may not be condemned with the world as a father he disciplines his children but he says i don't have to discipline you if you discipline yourself jacob probably had to discipline 10 of his older children he never had to discipline joseph is it you also a son yes why he disciplined himself he understood what his father expected of him and walked that way so he didn't need any discipline if we judged ourselves we judged ourselves connected with that jesus will say something else which looks opposite okay but it's very very important what jesus says in matthew chapter 7 the words i have given you 1 and 2 judge not judge not that you be not judged for with what judgment you judge you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured back to you first scripture says judge yourself so that you don't be judged second it says don't judge the other you judge yourself constantly constantly judge yourself but do not judge the others because if you judge others you judge somebody else whatever judgment you judge with yardstick you judge with he says i will judge you by the same yardstick the measure you use it will be measured back to you what does god mean what does god mean listen carefully young and old ones even little ones because some of you if you get this principle in today's message that will set you free for life otherwise it doesn't matter what you become even if you become the most successful and rich man on earth like bill gates you will die and go to hell it's as simple as that because god's principles cannot be broken his kingdom is a kingdom of justice of righteousness and the scepter of his kingdom is righteousness and god's principles are very clearly established and it doesn't matter where you are you could be in the world you could be in the biggest church or the smallest church wherever you are it's only the truth that can set you free nothing else can set you free the principles of law god's kingdom was established by god when israel came out as a nation He also knew a nation cannot exist unless it has clear defined laws. 
Moses will expound to us. God, God through Moses will expound to us the principles of justice. What he is telling them is the laws for Israel, but is in that law is the principles of justice for eternity. So learn the principles, the spirit of the law, the spirit of life. If you could go to Romans 8, 1 and 2. Okay, I didn't give it to you that, but Romans 8, 1. And if I write 2 also, can I have it? There is therefore, yeah, actually, there is therefore now no condemnation. We love that. For those who are in Christ Jesus. But, condition, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life. There is a law there also. That is the spirit of the law. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has said, made me free from the law of sin and death. To be freed from one law, one law, I need to obey another law. It is not that I have been just freed from this law, now I can get up and do whatever I want. God says, no, you want to walk in freedom, you need to be a slave of the other law. The law of the spirit of life. So principles of justice. The letter of the law was given in the old covenant, but in that was the spirit of the law of life. Let us look at the principles of justice as God has taught. Because this is important to all of us as individuals. And for the young ones, when you get married, when you have your own home as parents, when you work in a company as employees and employers, if you ever get into civil society, into administration as an administrator, everywhere the principles of God will apply and it will ultimately judge us. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, scripture says, God through Moses, almost at the end of 40 years, he's telling the new nation that is going to go in. He says, I charged your judges at that time saying, hear the causes between your brethren and judge righteously between every man and his brother and stranger that is with him. Every man. Whether there is a dispute between a man and his brother or whether it is a man or a stranger. The principle of justice is it should be always judged righteously. That's how equity will enter. Equity is impartiality. Just because it's not, I'm not mentioning communities, but there are certain communities, you end up in a conflict with them and they are at the wrong, their whole community will gang together and you are beaten up. It doesn't matter what is right or wrong, they will only stand with their community. God says law doesn't stand like that. Judge whether it is a stranger or whether it is a brother. Always judge righteously. Principle of justice. Judge first. Judge righteously. You shall not respect persons in judgment. You will not respect persons in judgment. If you are a judge, if you are a judge, God says it doesn't matter who comes into your courtroom doesn't matter whether it's a beggar or the king. Do not be a respecter of persons. Do not be a respecter of persons. And I wish pastors learned this fundamental lesson because when political leaders visit to their churches, they go haywire. They just sit there. 
The house of God is also a house of judgment and it's not a respecter of persons. And James will write, he says, when the poor man comes, he is made to sit at the back. When the rich and powerful comes, he is made to sit in the front. He said, haven't you already perverted justice? You can't do that. God is not a respecter of persons when it comes to justice. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of the face of man. Shall not be afraid of the face of man. It doesn't matter who you are. For the judgment is God's. Ultimately remember the principle of judgment. Ultimate judgment belongs to God and God alone. Every other judgment is temporary. The principle of justice is judge righteously. Very righteously. Don't be a respecter of persons. And also remember, never forget, oh judge, judgment ultimately is of God. It's not of man. It's of God and not of man. When this was established, when this fundamental principles of justice was established in Israel, if you look at the fundamental principles of justice that is enshrined in the law books of different nations, you will see it is all picked from these two verses about justice. But God gave the law to Moses and the law books of every country, almost every country, the principles are based on this. That is why when you see the the symbol of justice is the lady with the scales and her eyes are tied. Not a respect of persons. Judge righteously, balance righteously. Principles were established when the law was given through Moses. God also put three restrictions to the judges. He also put restrictions on judges. Now you have to remember this because this is connected with what Jesus said. Judge not or you will be judged. One of the first restrictions God puts about judgment because we are very good at making judgments though we don't know law. We are all good judges. What does God say? First thing is, you are never supposed to judge. Because judging is like a ruling. Judge where you have no authority. Never judge where you have no authority. That is what it means. When we go, when we live in life, when you go outside the area of your authority, God says, Judge not. Judge not. He says, you judge, the law will bite you back. Because I have not given you authority to judge. In Romans 14, right? And verse 4, who are you to judge another's servant? Who are you? God says. To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will may be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Who are you to judge? Somebody else's servant. He's got nothing to do with you. You have no power or authority over him. Who are you to judge? Who are you to judge? Understand fundamental principles. It's very, very simple. And you can keep your life safe and stand with confidence before God on that day. I personally, as a husband... And a father, I have authority only over my home. Why should I judge somebody else's home? I don't have authority. He hasn't given it. I can counsel. But I don't, 
I have don't have an authority to judge somebody else's home. I have been given authority only over my wife and my children and nobody else. As a father and a husband. As a pastor, I have been given authority only over my church. That too only over those who consider they are my sheep and not visitors. I don't, I can't judge somebody. I can judge doctrine if it is made public. But I cannot judge any other choice. It's not my business because I have not been given authority. Are you getting the picture? I have to be very, very careful about this because we run into trouble through life because we make judgment calls. Children have been given no authority to judge parents. You do it, you are in serious trouble with God. Absolute serious trouble. Children have been given no authority to judge teachers. You do it, you are in big trouble with God. You're, you're in serious trouble. Big trouble. Until that is put right, the life of God will not flow. You may excel in studies. That's not a big thing. For that you just need a little hard work. You can excel in studies. But the life of God will not flow. God has established principles. The first principle he establishes in law is do not judge where you do not have authority. The second principle God establishes is this. Don't even consider a situation without two or three witnesses. Now you are a judge. Let us say you have an authority. You have an authority. Okay? You have an authority. Like I got my one child sitting over here. I will ask him. I heard this. Did you do this? He says, no, I leave it at that. He may be lying to me. But I leave it at that. Why? Because I do not have, have to have two witnesses about him. Though I have authority. I can say, no, I heard that person say and he never lies and spank you. No, nothing. Why? If I see myself, or my wife has seen, that's a different story. Two or three witnesses come up to me and say, this is what your son did. Then I will... I will call him and says, did you? No. But I said, but I have three people who said you did it. My witnesses never come up. Okay. There's a principle established by God. Even when there are two or three witnesses, what they are bringing is a cause to investigate and not to pronounce the guilt. Are you getting the picture? Let us say there are two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses, like the illustration I used last time, two witnesses came and said, Pastor, we saw Sammy under the wine shop. Okay? Remember last time? Poor Sammy, poor fellow, has never gone over there, but today is Bakra, okay, under the wine shop. So I do not immediately pronounce the verdict, he's a drunkard. No. What they have brought is solely a source of information and if I have authority over that, that information is only subject to investigation, not to pronounce a verdict. That is why even in our legal law system, police do the investigation, courts pass the verdict. Police doesn't. But in India, it's neither the police nor the court, the verdict is passed by the newspapers. 
No trial. Trial by media. That's exactly what they call it. It's called trial by media. By the time the media has finished with that, that person is finished. It doesn't matter. Even if the Supreme Court says you are innocent, it doesn't matter. In the eyes of the people, he's finished. And God has set fundamental principles of justice in a civil society. And he gave it to Israel. That's why God told Israel, you shall be a light to the nations. Why? Not because of Israel. If you function under the laws that I'm establishing you, 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 and wonder to the nations, they will understand how the righteousness of God is established through a people. But if that doesn't, didn't happen with Israel, now what is he calling? He's calling the church to be a light. The city on the hill. Principles of justice, righteousness. We cannot judge according to appearance. We can only judge according to the fact or the truth. We cannot judge according to the appearance. According to the appearance, you are standing near the wine shop. Can you judge according to that appearance? But that's what most people do. I heard about a real story about an elder in a church and there was this lady who had a big you know, tongue that goes around the town. Big long tongue, the big the gossip in the church. So she saw the man's uh, car parked outside the wine shop. He had parked it over there. Poor man is a teetotaler, never drinks in his life. He had parked it over there because there was no other parking space. So he parked it over there in the night and he went and the next day morning he came and picked it. By the time the whole church heard that this man drinks. He didn't do anything. He quietly, and she's a single lady. That's the funniest part. He didn't do anything. He didn't say anything. Left it at that, he heard. You know what he did the next weekend? He parked his truck in front of her house and went and picked it up the next morning. (laughs) You judge me by appearance, let people judge you by appearance. what Jesus said in John chapter 7 and verse 24. You know what Jesus said? Do not judge according to appearance. Don't judge according to appearance. Don't do it. But judge with righteous judgment. Judge with righteous judgment. Never convict people because it appears that they have done something wrong. Truth is what you judge by. Justice is what you uphold. Are you getting? It's only when you judge by truth you uphold justice. Not by appearance. Mercy, we know about mercy. But there's another side of mercy, what actually also mercy means. Mercy also means not to judge by appearance. A lady was brought, caught in the act of adultery. Brought by whom? The Pharisees and thrown before Jesus. And says, what do you say? He didn't say anything. Why? Why didn't he say anything? He says, I am not here to pervert justice. Why? First, you Pharisees have been given no authority to judge people. Who gave you authority? Have you been sanctioned by the Judaic system? Do you have any authority to judge people? You are just Pharisees. You are teachers of the law. You are not the law. You have not been appointed a judge over these people. Who gave you authority to judge them? 
So I am not going to even talk about justice over here because you have no, we use the legal term, you have no locus standi in Latin, meaning you have no legal standing. You look at the Supreme Court, somebody puts in a petition by saying, this one has that, the Supreme Court looks at it and throws it out saying, you have no legal standing. Who are you? What is your legal standing in this case? Before they will even take your petition, the law will take your petition, they will first see whether you have a legal standing to even petition. First thing, it doesn't answer them. You have no legal standing. They kept on asking. Then he looks at them and he says, okay, I will give you a judgment according to God. Who is without sin? Cast the first stone. They all left. He asked, is there anybody who come to condemn you? She said, no. Is she guilty? Yes. Is he going to judge her on the appearance of guilt? No. I'm not going to judge you on the appearance of guilt. My job here is to uphold the righteousness of God. And I wrote in the law, unless there are two or three witnesses who know personally this act was done and I was a witness to it, only judgment should take place. You should not judge on appearance. That is mercy. Mercy also means I give you the benefit of doubt. No, when we are playing cricket, if you are batting, you want benefit of doubt. Right? That's why we get so angry if you are with the batting team and Sachin gets out and then everybody's an expert on the law. Oh, it never touched even the, it didn't even touch his bat, it was his gloves or it was his pad. Oh, how wonderful we are. We love the benefit of doubt if it is for us. But the bowling team is mad because they didn't get the benefit of doubt. But that's mercy. Because mercy says you cannot judge based on appearance, only based on hard evidence. Hard evidence. Very hard evidence. So you need to realize the law established by God and the principles of justice enshrined in most constitutions work on what was given on Mount Sinai. That's the principle. And Proverbs 28 and verse 20 says, No, I got it wrong. Mercy and, I got it wrong. Mercy and truth upholds the justice of a king. Okay. Okay. If you can get it, show it. That's why also we have statements. I forgot which great man said it, but there are statements in history said by great people like, let a thousand guilty go free, but let not one innocent be punished. Let a thousand guilty go free, because there is no evidence. But you should not even punish one innocent based on appearance. Because it perverts the justice or the righteousness of God. So the first principle is enshrined in God's constitution. The book of Deuteronomy, the book of the law is, do not judge in any area where you have not been given authority. Be like Joseph. My father has four wives. He's got many children through that. He lies. Everybody says he has lied. Everybody talks about him. It's none of my business. 
God did not give me authority to judge my father. King David had many wives, many concubines, many children. Every one of them I believe judged the father except Solomon. Bathsheba covered Solomon and saw to that this young boy never judged his father. So when it was time for God to pick a man after his own heart to sit on the throne, he said, I'm going past all your sons and picking that boy to sit over there because he will uphold justice and righteousness. And you go through the Bible to see about Solomon. It is about his verdicts in different cases. He upholds the justice and the righteousness of God. But how did he become like that? Because he is one of the only son of David who never judged his father. Was his father right? No, most of the time his father was wrong. He made lots of mistakes, but he never judged. Why? Because he had never given authority to judge. Never given authority to judge. A lot of young people, they mess up. is because they judge. You can discuss issues when you grow up as adults. Discuss, this is my issue, don't judge. There's a difference between discussing an issue and judging. Discuss issues, vent it, talk it, get rid of it, don't judge. Because you judge where you have no authority, you will run into trouble with the justice of God. Second thing, do not judge. Mercy and truth preserve. It was 2028, right? Not 2820, okay. Mercy and truth preserves the king and by loving kindness he upholds the throne. Mercy and truth. Mercy means I will not judge by appearance. No. I'll give you benefit of doubt. I don't know. It looks like it. I cannot prove. So you get the benefit of doubt. Mercy and truth preserves the king. Let a thousand guilty go unpinished. Then one innocent be punished. So the first two principles. Third principles of justice in God's kingdom. Judges were not allowed to seek witnesses in an attempt to find guilt. Did you get it? I am a judge. Shrikar is brought to my court. Okay? And this is the case. But I don't like Shrikar. No, I love Shrikar. Okay? I'm example. Okay? Now don't go around past a priest in the pulpit so it must be truth that he doesn't love, like Shrikar. No. I love Shrikar. Okay? But imagine I am a judge and I got an issue with him. And he's brought to my court. Now, I as a judge is looking for witnesses to see that I can condemn him. Judges were never to seek witnesses to prove a guilt because of something you have in your heart. You have to read news. You don't have to read law. If you only read your daily newspaper after you have read, read your daily Bible, not before, okay? You will understand certain court cases. I know your children don't even read these things. It doesn't interest you. First go to the entertainment page, right? First the cartoon and boy sports. But read news, you will see a Supreme Court judge sometimes, even at the highest level, say, I recluse myself from this case. A case has been brought to his court. And he says, I'm reclusing myself. I'm excusing. Please, he will tell the chief justice, please excuse me from my case. Sometimes the chief justice himself tells the other judges, excuse me. Why? Because I know that man and there is a conflict of interest. 
So tomorrow nobody should say, I did not uphold righteousness, so excuse me from the bench. That's how careful they are in upholding justice. So scripture is very clear about justice in the sense like, don't seek witnesses to prove somebody's guilt. Then your heart is wrong. You can seek witnesses if you want to prove somebody is innocent because you love your brother. But not the other way. That is dangerous under God's principle of justice. There is no one, let me tell you, as miserable as a person who spends his life looking for something to condemn somebody because he wants to justify the condemnation he has in his heart for somebody else. It's a miserable person because he's going around looking for witnesses who can say, yeah, that brother is guilty, that sister is guilty, the most miserable person. Even if you have everything in life. Do you know the name of a person like that in the Bible? He was the wisest man of his generation. And his name was Ahitophel, David's own old wise counselor. But deep inside, he hated David. He hated David. He probably never saw, he probably only heard that David had taken his daughter. But he was looking for an opportunity to condemn this man. The minute Absalom took the throne, he immediately switched over to that side and said, do this. Yet here was a man for years in David's kingdom, giving the very counsel of God to the king to uphold the righteousness of God. But in his heart, he was waiting for an opportunity. And then, when his counsel is not received by Absalom, the spirit of death comes upon him, he goes and hangs himself. Why? Because with the same measure you judge, the same measure I will judge you back, God says. You wanted David humiliated and killed. That's what he said. Give me the soldiers, I will go, I will kill David. First humiliate him, then we will kill him. God said, you know what? You wanted to humiliate and kill David, right? I'm going to pass the judgment back to you. You will hang from the rafter of your house and the whole world will know in your death you were not wise. You were just a fool. Because a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. He says, there is a God who upholds justice and righteousness. Ahitophel, you are a fool. These are principles of God's kingdom. Why did the psalmist or David talk about meditating upon the law? Psalm 1 and verse 2. Meditating. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. Why? So that he could understand the principles of judgment and justice and walk free from the condemnation that comes otherwise. That's the reason we meditate. We just, why do we meditate upon the word of God? If you ever meditate upon the word of God, why do we meditate upon the word of God? The purpose of meditating upon the word of God is to understand your kingdom and your righteousness. This is how your kingdom functions. This is your righteousness. I want it. I want to be a man of your kingdom. That's the reason. And God says, if that is your heart, 
And that's how you seek the kingdom and the righteousness first. He says, be sure he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, living water. I will come to give you life and life in abundance that brings forth fruit in its season. Whose leaf shall not wither, whatever he does shall prosper. His devil will bless the work of his hands. He will be a blessing till he dies. Why? Because he's meditating upon my word day and night so that his spirit can imbibe the very righteousness of God, the principles of his kingdom. So get principles. Young ones, older ones, don't judge where you have no authority. First principle, don't judge where you have no authority. The home has been given to the father, the husband, and in the absence of the father, to the mother, not to the children, never. Not to the children. The church has been given to the pastor, not to the congregation. The shepherd, not to the sheep. Most of the churches, big churches, they have big structures, big everything. But why is it dead inside? Because they have broken God's order. There is a committee who sits there and judges the shepherd and says, what you can do, what you cannot do. And you don't do what we say, we will remove you. God says, I am not there. I am moving out. I am moving out. How do I know? Because I also know these churches have to call visiting pastor after visiting pastor after visiting pastor to give them a word of life. Why? Because life is not there. Do we need visiting pastors? No. We don't need. When I fail, uphold God justice, you will need a visiting pastor. No, the next, next one will do better. Don't worry. God will not subvert his order. He will not. The home has been given to the father and the mother. The father is absent. The church to the pastor. And the nation to the rulers, not to the newspapers. Anytime you step outside your area of authority, God calls it judging. God calls it judging. Be very careful. Now, Sisters, we have to be very careful in the church. I will not be careful. Outside in the world, you have to be very careful. If you say anything against a woman, you're finished. Mr. Donald, Donald Trump will lose the election because of women, not because of issues. Because the women of America are offended over a mic recording from 11 years back. But the issues of America are much bigger, bigger than a recording. But they will not want to hear about it. But let me tell you women, learn from scripture. We don't learn from the world, we learn from scripture. The first couple in the Bible, they didn't go to the White House, they lived in a tent. The first couple, okay? The name was Abraham and Sarah. And you read scripture carefully. Abe Sarah never judged her husband. She judged her maid, Hagar. She judged her household. She judged Ishmael and Isaac, but she never judged her husband. Never. Never judged her husband. That's why in First Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Scripture says, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. What does this mean? It means she never buckled against his judgment. Though his judgments were wrong. She gave in to those judgments according to that culture. He said, say you are my sister. She said, okay, I am your sister. 
Another man will take you, the other man took. Did she fight his judgment? He did not. But today the laws are different, so you don't, but you have to look at the principle behind it. Did she ever fight his judgment? Whether she was, when he said it, when he was 75 or 76, or whether he said it at 99? Whether he said it when he was just learning to walk with God, or whether he said it after he had eaten with God, the judgments of Abraham were wrong. She never buckled against that judgment. Because she knew, this is the order of God's kingdom. That if I judge my husband, I will be judged. Today, if you have an issue like Abraham, don't judge your husband, quietly leave. Don't judge. Quietly ask for help, leave, but don't judge. Rebecca judged her husband, though he was wrong and she was right. Isaac was not judged, Rebecca was judged. She never will see Jacob again and she will die. Nothing is mentioned in the Bible. Jacob, Isaac will live to a ripe old age and die. But Rebecca just disappears. Why? Though she was right and he was wrong, she was judged because she judged authority. Where she had not been given authority to judge her husband. Rachel was judged because she was judging her husband Jacob by taking the idols of her father. Oh you, what are you a man of God? Are you talking about God, God, God always? I don't, I, I'm not interested about your God and your faith and your praying and your worship and all. I prefer my fathers. God says, you are judged. Because you are judging your husband without a word. You are judging. Leah never judged her husband. Though she had the wrong deal in the marriage, so she will live to an old ripe age. And in death, she will get a husband, Jacob, and they will be buried together because God will say without a word, Leah upheld my justice and my righteousness in Jacob's household. Understand principles. It's difficult to swallow in today's life, today's world. But God's kingdom, understand the scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. And righteousness is perverted when we perpower, pervert the laws of God and the justice of God. Isaac never judged his father, even though his father tied him up onto an altar and picked a wife for him without allowing him to make a choice. He never judged his father. So God never judged him. Jacob judged his father. So God Judge Jacob, he had to run like a fearful wanderer, live like a slave for 20 years until he was ready to repent. Why? Simple thing, you judged your father. You thought he was blind and you could cheat him. You were judging your father. Jacob had 10 sons who judged their father and thought their father was an old fool. So God judged all the 10 sons, but the 11th and the 12th never judged their father, so God never judged them. And when Joseph was the 11th brother, 10, 11th brother, the youngest before Benjamin was born, his brothers were all mad at him, they were all sinned against him, and they were all unjust to him. But he never judged his brothers. He never judged his brothers. Never one word against his brothers went, because he knew this is the order. The only time he judges his brothers is when he has authority, has prince of Egypt, and they have come to his courtroom. Then he judges his brothers as a judge. Understand principles of God's justice. When I or you judge outside my area, I am breaking the divine law established by God on which his righteousness is established. 
that is as much a part of the law as the law itself. If I judge outside my area of jurisdiction, I am breaking the law. It is as much a part of the law as the law itself. In James chapter 4, verse 10 to 12, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of what? Of the law and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. He says, you know what? What have you judged? You have judged the law. And who is the law? Jesus. He says, you have judged God. You have judged God. You are no longer a doer of the law, but you have become a judge. Now when you hear law, 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 don't think about the Levitical law. That's not what God is saying. He's talking about the principles on which his righteousness is established. He says, if you speak evil of one another, brethren, who who speaks is judging his brother. And when you judge your brother, you don't realize you're speaking evil of the law and judges the law. Understand principles. There is a difference between the law giver and the law enforcer. The parliament makes the law, but it does not enforce the law. The courts and the police enforces the law. Parliament just makes the law. Submitting to that authority is important in the eyes of God. Submitting is very important in the eyes of God because the law is established by Him. Jesus is the lawgiver. On Mount Sinai, it is Jesus who gave the law to Moses. It is Jesus who gave the Ten Commandments to Moses which enshrines and capsule the entire law of God. The righteousness of God. And in that, there is one law which says, honor your father and your mother. Who gave that law? Jesus gave. Yet when he came in that flesh, that same law is being enforced to him by Joseph and Mary. He's the lawgiver. But he comes under the law. Honor your father and mother. Who are you? The one who gave the law to Moses. And who are these two? Right now, my parents under the law. And I submit to their authority. That's what Luke 2.51 means. The lawgiver and the law enforcer. Here are two. What does it say? Luke 2.51. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was what? Subject to them. Subject to them. I've told this to my mom. My mom, I told her, mom, when I'm at church, I'm your pastor. Don't interfere. When I'm home, I'm your son. You say what you want to want. But don't interfere in the church things. It's out of jurisdiction. Out of jurisdiction. No. Mom, I love you. You are old. You have all this thing. But this is outside your jurisdiction. I don't even have to give you an answer to your questions. Outside your jurisdiction. Here the lawgiver, he, capital he, small m, small m, parents small, is he, the God who gave the law, is subject to these two. Why? Because that is the law he put forward. He is upholding that law by submitting to them. Do you believe? Do you believe? 
I remember an example I read, an incident I read years and years ago. This morning, early morning when I was preparing that example came to my mind. It happened in an army camp in the U.S. The general of the camp was coming in his staff car. And he came at the post, the sentry stopped. The sentry stopped. And when he went to the gate, into the door, and he looked, he knew to the staff car, if you know army, staff car, flag, three stars, four stars, everything. He saluted and went to the window, the window was rolled down and it says, sir, your identity card please. And he looked at it and looked at him. And then the general asked him, you know who I am? He said, yes sir. And uh, you want to see my identity card? Yes sir. He asked him, why? That's the law, sir. And the general saluted him and said, that's a good law, sir. And he said, let him in. You need to realize he may be the general and he may have passed the order. Everybody needs to show their identity at the gate. He himself is subject to that law. Not like what we have here in India. Where when they minute become their authority, they are the subject to no law. No, that's not how God's kingdom works. He himself was subject to his own law because he has to uphold the righteousness of his father's kingdom. We are not outside the law. We are right in the law, fulfilling it. Saying, I am subject to every authority placed by God over man. That's why I said this message could be probably the most important message you ever heard in your life. If you are a believer. If not, get saved. Then this will make sense. There is only two ways to get out of a law. One, you die. You are out of the law. Two, you leave that area if the law offends you. And there is another place where that law is not applicable. Got it? Some laws are applicable everywhere. Some laws are not applicable. I will give you one example about this church and another church, but not by name. This church is very simple. I stick by the law given by God in the new covenant. If a woman prays or prophesies, she should... Cover her head. If you don't cover your head, I will never say anything, but I will never call you to pray. You may be a real praying person, but that's irrelevant to me because I have been called from here to uphold the righteousness of God and not support it. I don't look at your gift and say, wow, you are a praying woman. Why don't you come and pray? No, sister, I will not. You ask my own wife. And the first time she prayed in my church, she didn't cover her head. And I knew she was a praying woman. I never called her back to prayer until she covered her head. Then the Spirit of the Lord convicted her and said, cover your head. And she covered and said, come back and pray. Because you are not a respecter of persons. Your job is to uphold righteousness. You cannot subvert the law. You yourself are under the law. Second, I went to an IPC, church, Pentecostal church, most lawful church, very tough, very tough years back. I went to their um, pastor's conference, they called me to preach. I went there, I had this. The first thing the superintendent who was sitting there through the room, he looked at me, he looked at my ring, he didn't look at anything else, he looked at me, he looked at my ring, and he looked at me, one look, and he said in Malayalam to me, if you were a member of my church, I will not give you communion. That's all he said. I didn't say anything back. Why? Because I'm in another man's territory. And the Lord told me, every time you go into one of their churches, take this off before you go to climb. Come under that authority. When you step out, you can put it back. 
you may not like it. You have two choices. Either don't go, or you want to go to preach because I sent you. Take this off and then preach. Why? The law of God has to be upheld. It's righteousness. We don't teach rebellion in the kingdom of God. We don't teach subverting the law of God. If you don't like a particular law of a church, and you say, I don't believe in it, quietly leave. Don't start a rebellion in the church saying that I am going to prove to the pastor we ten women are going to fast and pray with our head uncovered. Don't do it. You just come under judgment even if the pastor is wrong. That's how the kingdom works. Have you noticed when a policeman hits a guy and by some chance if a picture is taken he comes under Disciplinary action from the department. You hit a policeman, even if he's wrong. They file a criminal charge against you because of obstructing an officer in the process of his duty. It's rebellion against the state. It is not the same. It is not the same. That's how authority flows. Understand, simple, simple principles of the kingdom of God. That's how it works. Why? This has got nothing to do with even this life. It has got to do with the next one. You and I want to stand before God and say, Lord, I judge myself. I told you, heaven's green channel, nothing to declare. Nothing to declare. Cleared. God says, you can finish that way. Understand principles. If you don't understand the principles and try to understand the principles of God's kingdom and justice, we are not seeking righteousness. Understand this. When Adam and Eve sinned, what they lost was fellowship with God, which is called death. They lost death. They lost life. Because life comes from him. God, not Adam, God wanted man restored back to life. But it could not be done until God's own justice and righteousness was satisfied. So you have to look at it both ways. Christ Jesus came in the flesh and died for man. He died for man. But that was not the main reason he died. He died to satisfy the justice of God. He died for man. But that's not the reason he died. He died because that was the only way the right, just law of God could be fulfilled. The wages of sin is death. He died to uphold the justice of God. If God has to take man back to fellowship, it is only when the justice of God is satisfied. That is why he said, I am the way and no man can go to the Father other than through me. You want to go to God? You have to fulfill the justice of God. I have fulfilled it for you. You believe in me, you can go. Otherwise you cannot. The justice of God is not satisfied by any good things you do. One billion good things you do. The justice of God is not fulfilled. It is only atoned by death. The death of his own son. The only sinless man. That's why he died. Not just to save us, but to fulfill the justice of God and then save us. There's no other way. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Therefore, be careful this morning. We all have judged. We all have made mistakes, but that's not an excuse. Be careful. 
Let's read scripture once again in KJV, Romans 2 and verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whatsoever thou art judges, for wherein thou judges another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judges does the same things. Can I have it in KJV also? I wanted in KJV because today's message title will be this, inexcusable. Can we have it in KJV too? Therefore you yeah, NKJV son. <clears throat> Therefore you are inexcusable. Why? You man, oh man, whoever you are who judge for in whatever you judge, another you condemn yourself. You are inexcusable. You read the whole book of Romans chapter 1 before 2.1 begins. 2.1 is after the end of Romans chapter 1. A whole list is given of sinners. A whole list is given. Who is in this inexcusable? The drunkard? The thief? The murderer, the harlot, God says no. The one who is inexcusable is the one who judges outside his authority. The one who judges. Judging in the kingdom, in God's kingdom and in principle is the only sin that you will get punished if you are false. That's the principle of God's judgment. Deuteronomy 19, verses 15 to 19. Look. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. One witness, not enough. One witness, it's not enough. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Three or two or three witnesses, those who were present, those who know. These are facts, evidence that cannot be questioned. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, verse 17, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. This is the only crime where you get punished if you brought a false accusation. You don't go, go free in God's kingdom. That's why God said, judge not. Judge not. Be very careful. The principle of God's kingdom. It's proven in, King, in the Bible. In Esther chapter 7, verse 10, <coughs> 7, 10. And they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. What was Haman trying all to do with false witnesses, false witnesses to hang Mordecai? What did God do? He hung Haman on the same gallows. No other sin in the kingdom demands such harsh retribution in the kingdom as false accusation. Because <clears throat> when we start judging people outside our jurisdiction, we are on our way down. Down. Now I'll show you from New Testament. Careful, listen. Judging is the only sin in the New Covenant too. In scripture that demands public rebuke. Public rebuke. First Timothy chapter 5, 17 to 20. 
please don't tell me that after this message, lunch won't taste so good. It should taste better. <clears throat> Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treats, treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. Okay. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sending, sinning, rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. The only sin mentioned here is an accusation. A false accusation. God is not instructing us to rebuke publicly everybody in the church who sins. Because everybody sins. And he's not giving you permission, me or anybody permission to do that. Because everyone has sinned last last week. And if the Lord reveals to me all your sins and I'm rebuking you, there will be no church service left. Right? No. The only sin that God demands to be rebuked publicly is the sin of a false accusation against the leadership. Because God takes it very seriously both in the old and the new covenant. God judged Moses' own elder sister and eldest brother, elder sister especially Miriam. The prophetess was judged, not because she was talking about her brother, but because she was talking about God's leader. In Numbers 12 and verse 1, scripture says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. That's a younger brother, younger by many, many, many years. It made no difference. We are talking about the kingdom. You know what God says in verse 4 to 10? Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out. Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out. You three to the tabernacle of meeting. I want to have a closed door meeting with you, which we'll later make public. But first now you all come inside. Three came. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam and they both went forward. And God said, then he said, if there is a prophet among you, I the Lord make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He doesn't say your brother Moses. My servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. He didn't touch Aaron. Because the originator was Miriam and also because Aaron was a high priest and for that he did not touch Aaron because atonement couldn't be offered by a leper. But he judged Miriam. Why? Because God says don't speak. You brought a false accusation against my servant. In number 16, the entire, practically the entire eldership of Pastor Moses turned against him. In 16 verses 1 to 3. Now Korah the son of Izar, the son of Kohah, the son of Levi, Datan, Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And there rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representative of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourself for all the congregation is holy. Every one of them and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of God? 
Entire leadership. Did it make any difference to God that all the 250 elders of the church had gone against Moses? It didn't make it. He says, you stand aside. Look at the conclusion of the matter in verse 35. A fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. In the very act of religious sacrifice, he consumed them because he says, I did not give you authority to judge. This is the principle, consistent principle in scripture. There were so many sinners in the new covenant church. You have to believe because everyone who saved was a sinner. There are so many sinners in the new covenant. But do you see them mentioned by name? No. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1, there is a man living in the most abject sin. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such a sexual immorality as is not even named among Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. He is living with his stepmother. Is his name mentioned? Does, is the name of any sinner mentioned in the new covenant? Yes. Yes. Those who spoke against the leadership, their names are mentioned very clearly in the Bible. Why? Those who slander, those who blaspheme, why? Because it is the destroying of someone's reputation. So many lives, churches, homes, Ministries have been destroyed by false accusations. So look to, to what God says. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 20. Timothy. Of whom are Hymenaeus, Alexander, whom I deliver to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Three names I mentioned it said. They will, I have handed them over to Satan so that they will learn not to talk against the leadership. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 14 and 15. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him for he has greatly resisted our words. Is another man mentioned? How about the simple, gentle, loving prophet called John? Even he will mention names in 3 John chapter 9. And verse 10. I wrote to the church that Diotrephus who loves to have preeminence among them does not receive us. Therefore if I come I will call to mind his deeds which he does. Prating against us with malicious words. Does John mention somebody in a church? Does he mention? Yes he does. Diotrephus. He says his words are malicious against us. We Problem is we never see sin as God does. No other sinner's name is mentioned in the Bible. After Ananias and Sapphira, which is one incident connected with money, nobody's name is mentioned. Connected with any sin. Though there were plenty of sinners, including one man living with his stepmother. Which would be terrible for us. But God says, everyone who has spoken out of their jurisdiction, name them. Rebuke them publicly. And that's what Paul and John are doing. They are rebuking them publicly in a letters to the church. Rebuking them publicly. Because these are ones with malicious words against the leadership. So as children, you have to be careful. As wives, you have to be careful. As men, you have to be careful. As everything, we have to be careful because of how God's kingdom works. God is not condoning sin. But he is putting emphasis 
where it needs. Understand the principles of God's justice and live by it. Live by it. Why? Because the name of Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So simple principles and I will start winding up. Okay, I'm taking liberty because you also have lunch. Okay. If you have to take a stand in life, defend the accused when you don't know the truth. Because it is his or her life that is at stake, not the accusers. If you have to. But stay away from it. Two, simple principles. Don't investigate outside the area of your jurisdiction. I don't want to know. It is none of my business. I am not interested. Simple words will keep you out of a lot of trouble with God. Third, don't spread accusations even if you think they are true. Because it could be just a fact caught in time and not the truth. Moses killed a man at 40. But the truth is, at 80, he became the redeemer to lead out 2 million people to life and not to death. It's a fact. It's not the truth. Jesus showed the most compassion to those who had fallen in sin and the least compassion to those who spread their sin. Understand, he couldn't stand the Pharisees, the accusers, but he had incredible compassion for anybody caught in sin and led them to righteousness. Do you remember last Sunday I told about Mephisopath and Ziba? I've heard even great, incredible, anointed preachers condemn Mephisobeth and exalt Ziba when David runs away from Jerusalem by saying Mephisobeth was plotting in his heart. But I never believed any one of it simply because of one little clue in scripture. One little verse was enough for me to know that Mephisobeth was true and Ziba was not. Why? Why? Because everything else can be faked, his beard and nails and bad. All that can, outward things can be, I have never shaved, I have never washed, look at men. All that is outward. Anybody can do that. But there's one thing. It's found in Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 3. Before Mephisopoth comes to the picture and David asked this question. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of salt whom I may show kindness? Is Mephisopoth even there? No. He doesn't even know Mephisopoth. What does Ziba say? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. That is the answer. What did he add? He is, so you know that man's heart. He's an accuser of the brethren. That's all you need. Proof. Accuser of the brethren. You know, Mephisopoth was true and Ziba was not. We don't condone sin. We don't condone sin. But Jesus came to seek, to save the lost, the sinner. And God is in the business of saving the sinner, the accused. Abraham did wrong when he had Ishmael through a maidservant. But God gave him a son, Isaac at hundred. He didn't condone his sin. Jacob was the crook. Yet he is the one who is called Prince with God and prince with man. 
Moses was a murderer at 40, but he is the one God called to redeem Israel. God's harshest judgment in the world was reserved for those who judged where they had no reason or no authority to judge. You see, if I steal your gold, I'll be sentenced by the law and labeled a thief. But there is one crime greater than stealing all your gold and silver. It is given in Proverbs 22 and verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. God, there is something more precious than gold and silver. What is it? Your name. Our name. And you and I, if we steal someone's name, we have robbed more than their riches. Riches can be replaced. The name cannot be. That's why in Revelation 12 and verse 10, scripture says, what does it say? I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has finished. Day and night. Who is the accuser of the brethren? The devil. Don't join him. Understand this, the original accuser of the brethren is devil. And one thing you need to realize, he is not just a false accuser. He's not just a false accuser. Most of the time he is also a true accuser. If you accuse someone else falsely, you are like the devil. But even if you accuse someone truly without jurisdiction, you are still like the devil. Why? He knows the truth. When he tells before God, Peter lied yesterday, he's telling the truth. He won't tell lies to God. He will tell lies to us, not to God. Peter lied yesterday. God says, you're out of jurisdiction. He is responsible to Jesus. He will handle him, not you. Did Israel rebel? Did Israel rebel ten times to the point God said, none of you will enter into the kingdom of God? Yet when Balak bought Balaam to curse Israel, what does God say? I see no iniquity in Jacob. Who are you to judge my people? Who gave you authority? Where is your jurisdiction? Who told you, you can curse my people? Understand? It's not about whether you are right or wrong, whether you are true or false. That is not the point. The point is, Legally speaking, do you have jurisdiction? How wonderfully our law understands this. And we don't understand. You live in Alwal and the Bhavan police, somebody puts a case. The Bhavan police goes to the Alwal police, informs the inspector, brings a constable along with him to arrest you because he knows that is not his jurisdiction. They know. That's how it works. That is why when you run through this listing, you will see a board saying, Alwal police limits and stop, finish here. Here. That's why you see all these movies and all these guys chasing the American police, crashing through the gate, entering to Mexico and then showing the police like this. Why? Outside your jurisdiction, you can't do nothing. You have the power of the American state, but I'm in another country. What can you do to me? Understood? 
It's how it works. The problem is the people who sin most in the eyes of God are those who accuse and judge where they have no business or authority to do. That is where we have to be careful, very, very careful. Do you remember the Pharisee who prayed? Lord, I tithe regularly, I write regularly, I do everything, I pray three times, I fast this thing. And then he said, I'm not like this. He judged his brother and he was condemned. Everything he said about himself was true. It was not false. Everything he said is true. A Pharisee is true. He says, I read my Torah, I memorize my Torah, I recite my Torah, I fast, I tithe. Jesus said, be like them. They teach correctly, the doctrine is correct. They even tithe the mint and the cummins and everything. Tithing, they're wonderful, fasting, they're wonderful. But in his prayer, he condemned his brother. God says, you are, you are judged because you judged your brother. The publican has nothing to say. I don't fast, I don't pray, I steal, I do everything. God says, go. You are free. Because you didn't judge anybody. James 4 and verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law. Be very careful. It does not mean even to speak lies. But even something that is unkind. Don't judge where you have no authority. Why is it that we are not supposed to speak evil even if it is true about somebody, some man, let's say. The reason is because all of them have families. They have wives, they have children who need to live life in this society. We are not covering sin, no. If a man has sinned, let God deal with him. Let him go to the altar and repent. And if God judges him to a second level where he becomes sick because of his sin, let him call the elders of the church, confess and be prayed over and be restored. It is not your or my business to sit as judges on this roadside. That is what scripture means in First Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. Above all things have foe and love for one another for love will cover a multitude of sin. It doesn't condone but it covers. Because we are sinning against love and God is love. Paul knew what it was to be an accuser one day. He had accused the brethren. He has stood as an accuser of the brethren when he was holding the clothes of those who were stoning Stephen. He knew what it was, an accuser of the brethren. That's why he will always say, and he says in his last but one letter, First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he will say, 115, First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying. This is a true saying and a worthy of all acceptance that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was enough, right? That was enough, right? Even if he stops here, it is still the whole truth, right? He doesn't stop there. He says, of whom I am? Chief, why? Because he says, when I was saved, I was the accuser of the brethren. My sin was the worst. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't steal anybody's property. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't do anything, but I know what I did was worse than all of them. I was an accuser of the brethren. Therefore, I was the chief of sinners. Amen?
Remember there is a day that is coming. That is why we need to prepare ourselves. So this morning we need a solution. Simple repent. If you have done this, repent. Forgive, seek restoration and move on. Love covers. Because remember a day is coming when everyone Oh, that day, Matthew 12 and verse 36, everyone. I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account on the day of judgment. On the day of judgment. On that day, everyone. So put it right, make peace, make peace, put it right. And move on under the blood and then cover. If you are a victim of false accusations, deal with the issue if you can. Or leave it in the hands of God. Don't worry. You don't have to, you cannot fight accusations. That's the stupidest mistake I will tell you from the pulpit Donald Trump made of trying to defend himself. He would have just left it. Ignore it. He would have won the election. Instead he brought all Bill Clinton's ex-men and tried to accuse her husband. How is it going to work? You have become the judge now. You are not living into the hands of God. He lost it there. Let people say whatever they want. But there is one who is judged. There is only one who is true and, and just. And that is what the psalmist actually says. We are coming to the last three minutes. Okay, Psalm 37. This is the most important part. Look at it and you will have peace. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes up. You don't get upset by the wicked men or the ones who speak. Don't fret. Don't fret because you want to say something. And the wrath of man does not bring the righteousness of God. God says, be still, be still, be still, be still. You are my child. He is not. He is saying all these things. She is saying all. You be still. Don't react. Fret not, fret not. There is a God up there. Leave justice into his hands. Be still. Why? Because a day is coming. Verses 5 and 6. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. What? He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. He will do it. Leave it to him. Noonday. Don't worry. And verses 12 and 13. This is my order of Psalm 37. Okay, The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him for he sees that his day is coming. Lord laughs. Be missing. Lord, where are you? He said, I'm laughing. You don't worry. I'm laughing at all your enemies because I know his day is coming when he will not be gnashing his teeth. He'll be sitting in the outer darkness and gnashing his teeth. His day is coming. You don't fret. You don't fret. And verses finally 10 and 11. For a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed you will look carefully for his place. It shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in an abundance of peace. He says don't worry. That is the way of righteousness. That is the way of healing. Zip. There's something which I tell all of you young people because all come from families where your parents don't believe. Either a father doesn't believe or a mother doesn't believe or both don't believe and you all believe. What do I tell you? When they say something, zip your lip. Don't say anything. You may be right. That's not the point. 
Because you know the truth, you are in the kingdom. You are right. Most of the time you are right. It's not about who is right, who is wrong. The question is, how does righteousness flow? How does God's kingdom operate? Just don't say anything. Don't say, don't. God, learn to guard your lips. Learn to guard your words. Because this is how people are destroyed. As I close, thousands of years ago, when Israel was moving into the promised land, God spoke through Joshua and said, I set you before you, repeat, life and death, blessings and curses. And what did he say? Choose life. How do you choose life? Scripture says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. You know what they teach you? Choose life. Choose houses. Choose. Repeat. No. Stop talking ill of your brother. That's how you choose life. Every other thing God says is excusable. But you do this, you are choosing death because the same measure you use, the same measure is don't do it. Out of jurisdiction. Stay within your area. I'm telling you young children sitting over here all from unbelieving backgrounds. Be very careful. Be very, very careful about what you say and how you say it. Stay within God's prescribed order. And those of you who have believing parents also, stay within prescribed levels. Otherwise, that day is so close, closer than you think. And you want to grow, enter with having nothing to declare. You don't want to end before that high. Yes, earth and sky flood away from the face of him who was sitting on the throne. Can you imagine what it, the appearance of Jesus Christ was on that day? Earth and sky fled from his presence and everything gave up their dead. The sea, hell, hates everything. All the dead and the living were standing before him and books were opened. Right? That's why the scripture says in the book of Malachi, the Lord listens to the conversation of those who fear him and write it in his books. That also will be said. You said this. You are not supposed to say, you said this and you said right. Both are being written. Nothing is lost. Not even your text, your SMS, your email. Nothing. Servers and all can go and be wiped out. Nothing is wiped out. In heaven, the only thing that can be wiped out is by the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus alone. Nothing else can take it off. That's why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Shall we stand this morning? Father, this morning we come to you, Lord. We come to you through that only way you have made for us, a living way through the blood and the body of your son. There's no other way. This morning as we have heard your word, all of us, Lord, and I pray, Lord, it will not stop here. It will continue. The Holy Spirit will bring to a conviction everything that we have done wrong, said wrong, done wrong, which we still haven't put right with you or with man. That day is fast approaching, very fast approaching. Before we know, it will be here. 
help us to stand before you blameless. Not because we didn't sin, but because we repented and forsook it and brought everything under the blood of Jesus. I pray even now, in hearts, in the hearts of your people, there would be genuine contrition, genuine conviction, genuine repentance, and that the blood of Jesus will cleanse and sanctify. The blood sanctifies, the word cleanses, and the spirit will set us apart for a holy use. For your word says, if a man cleanses himself, he will become a noble vessel, well equipped for the master's use. This morning, my prayer, my cry for all of us is, help us to be noble vessels in your hands, O Lord Jesus, to be used for your purpose, for your name, for your glory. In everything that we do, help us to ask ourselves first, am I upholding the righteousness of the living God? For you said, if we seek after your kingdom, if you thirst after your righteousness, we will be filled. Thank you, Father. Thank you. I bless your people in your name. May the hand of the living God rest upon them and keep them, protect them, and may the Holy Spirit never depart from anyone, O oh Lord. I pray, Lord, when he convicts, we'll be quick to repent, quick to change, quick to make restitution, quick to move with you, Lord so that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit, we do not quench the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, we allow the Holy Spirit to be the Lord of our lives. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen and amen.